Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Alex Gruskin in for Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. I know we said that Joel was returning this week. Make that next week. Slight delay in the proceedings, but a fellow member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network times three, Alex Gruskin of Cracked Rackets, Mini Break Pod, Great Shop Pod, Cracked Rack, Cracked Interviews. Uh, podcast, uh, a content machine, and uh, glad to have you on three. Welcome to the show. Oh, glad to be back. I know you're not supposed to admit to crimes, but I'll admit I killed Joel. Um, I've been looking for this seat, uh, and so that's why he's not back this week. He might not be back for a few weeks after that either, uh, but no, it is a pleasure to be here. I will it was so funny. I was fortunate enough. This is how deep in the bench they are right now, looking for people to talk about Novak Djokovic, that they're like, get Gruskin on television. <laughs> and, you know, I did the hit and like I sent it to my parents because that's what you do. And immediately the first response, only response my dad has is, oh, well, at least they pronounced your last name, right? And I was like, that's it? That's your response to all of this? And so I'll say this, if he sees this, Gil, you nailed the last name. It's a pleasure to see you as always. And Amy, it's great to see you as well. Good to see you. Good. How many banners of content are you broadcasting under, by the way? Well, You've got cracked interviews, great shot. You know, Were, it's, you, it's... were you impressed? I just rattled them all off. Yes, like, Gil. Like a pro. Did you do prep? for this? <laughs> well, you know, I actually, when, when I'm asked by women at the bar, well, what do you do for a living? I go, well, I host the Cracked Interviews podcast, Great Shot podcast, Mini Break podcast. I'm a guest now on three, a tennis show. I yeah. can tell you all about yeah. the Iowa State five singles player. And then they're like, all right, on to the next one. Like, good meeting you. <laughs> um, so no, it's, uh, I know this is a YouTube podcast. I think listeners will see the lack of sleep I've enjoyed these past yeah. couple of days. But, um, you know, again, those who can't do speak about doing. And so that's what I do best. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, pace yourself over there. But for now, let's move on to Rafael Nadal, who is uh, 2-0 and without dropping a set through to round three. A win over Marcos Giron in round one, where uh, the, close, the tightest set was 6-4 in the second. And then a win over Yannick Hoffman, the qualifier from Germany in round two. He won 6-2, 6-3. And then again, the tightest set, this time the third, was 6-4. Amy, impressions of uh, Nadal's level and his opening two matches here in Australia? Very impressed, especially since apparently he had a rough go of it with COVID and was not able to do his usual prep that he likes to do physically um, before he came to Australia. But I, I want to like just take over the podcast and just jump in with something because I, I've got kind of a bone to pick with the, the broadcasters of the matches because I've been hearing this over and over again in Rafa's matches and that is that he's getting older now and he needs to shorten the points, right? Well. What I do, some of the writing that I do, I like to bust myths. 
So I thought it was interesting that he played this guy Hoffman, kind of a, I don't know, maybe you know him, Alex, but it, for me, he's kind of a, a random, you know, guy. And he had played this guy at Roland Garros in 2019, and I happened to be at that match. So I thought, isn't this interesting? I can just compare and contrast. And when I looked at the numbers, um, despite the fact that you would be expecting uh, the points to be longer on clay, there were actually more long points played on at the Australian Open. And um, Rafa is winning more short points. Um, he was run, winning more a higher percentage of short points at Roland Garros. So he's not, I mean, you guys play tennis. Um, the second you say to yourself, I'm going to try to shorten the points, that's when you start losing the points. And that's not Rafa anyway. So I just wanted to start off with, he's not trying to short the shorten the points. Uh, I, I would say you would have to go back further and compare yeah. because 20, in 2019, it was already Carlos Moya era. And I would argue there was already an effort to, to shorten the points. But uh, I guess we can get into kind of the, the physical the physical nature of, of Nadal and, and how he looks in that sense and what are his limitations or lack thereof of limitations uh, on that front. But Alex, you want to respond? Yeah, I think it's an interesting point you make, Amy. And I know he's the Lord Voldemort of this podcast, but I think this applies to Andy Murray as well. There's a perception that because they are older, because physically, are they the same athletes they were at 26, 27 years old? I think it's uh, safe to say the answer to that is probably not that they should make a concerned effort to shorten points. I would very much agree with you that mindset of I am tracking down every extra ball of I don't care what this does to my body two sets from now I'm winning this point right now that's been essential to their game since the mm -hmm. beginning and to ask them to turn that switch off is you know hypocritical it's just like it is antithetical to their being and so I agree there's there's a fine line between efficiency and recklessness but their ability to navigate that line is what has made them special throughout the course of their careers and so to Gil's point I I don't like how much shorter do you want Rafa to make the point would you like him to just hit aces on every point like sure I guess that's one option but he's already taken the plus one balls. He's already yeah. moving forward more than he did. I don't know how much shorter things can get. And to your point as well, like I think him working things out physically in these first two matches has been the most critical development to his game. And to be fair, Gil, I looked at an extremely small sample size. I would need to go to some of the five set matches and look in that fifth set and see okay, is Rafa like out of gas and he's, is he here clearly looking to shorten the points or looking to come in more would be one indication. Um, but I just thought it was interesting. I had sort of an apples to apples comparison with this Hoffman. That, uh, it was two, three, and four uh, last night that Rafa won and it was two, one, and three that he won at the French Open. And it was the same guy and, um, you know, the, the matches were eerily similar in, in terms of the rally length breakdown. Yeah. And just to add on the Hanifman piece, um, because to your point, I do happen to know him a bit. And he's a guy who, because I know a lot of three listeners are big college tennis fans, clinched the 2012 NCAA championship for USC. And for whatever it's worth, I have a theory that, you know, anyone who's been the best at anything or has done something like that, it 
inevitably helps you in a big stage like this moving forward. And he clinched what was the four-peat for that USC team, four consecutive NCAA titles, and eventually rose to an All-American top guy in college tennis. And the reason I bring all this up is you see that aggressiveness in his game, his willingness to move forward. And I know you look at the statistics last night, I think he was only 16 of 27 on net points. Mm -hmm. It felt like he imposed himself moving forward more than that, though. And I would argue Hanifman has a top three kick serve in all of tennis, just his mm. ability to open up angle on that ad side. And what he did so well yesterday was move forward and take, you know, when Rafa was plopped back on the fence, like he likes to be, I think Hanifman's uniquely suited to take advantage of that core positioning. And I think he did it. And Gil, I'm curious your thoughts, because, you know, again, it was straight sets, but it was a two and a half hour, three hour straight set victory. I don't think Rafa has looked that great thus far. I think he's looked fine. I don't know if he's looked grand slam winning good because last night it was like, there is a vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Hanifman identified it. He tried to attack it. And to some degree, he had some success. I, I like Nadal's win against Hoffman because I do feel like it was against an opponent who was playing his best. And it's not, it's not a top 20 player at their best, but it, it's, it was Yannick Hoffman at his best. And it, it, was a, it was a good match. It was a competitive match. But matchup-wise, you mentioned the kick serve. That was one thing I was looking at. And it was like, okay, this is a, a second-round match because Hoffman, he's a kick serve to the backhand guy. And Nadal's a lefty. So it became kick serve to the forehand. And it was like, okay, like you need another serve against Rafa. He didn't really have that. And I didn't think he was getting that much out of his serve compared to what he usually gets against your average opponent. And, and that's the kind of advantage where uh, I feel like, you know, you, you, you're going to need to match up a little bit better with Nadal. You, you got to get more out of your serve. I thought from the baseline, when the, when the rallies were somewhat rhythmic when things were in in volleyball this is crazy i can't believe i'm using this analogy but in volleyball there's in system where kind of everything is going according to plan when the rallies were in system i thought they were pretty competitive and pretty even but nadal's hands and his feel his cat and mouse play was so many levels above hoffman i felt like when either player was at the net when either player sliced, Nadal slice gave Hoffman fits. When either player went to net and it became about passing shots and volleys and lobs, it, that's where I thought Nadal was winning at a, a really, really high clip. Um, that's kind of how I saw the match and how Rafa separated himself in my eyes. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, it's interesting. I just want to point out um, that I've talked to a few coaches down there. And the first question I ask is, what's the surface like this year? And, you know, in years past, we've heard it's so fast. It's like glass or it's like ice out there. Um, I've had at least three people tell me that it's slower than it usually is. So, you know, that may benefit Rafa. I would also add just in the first, you know, the difference between the two performances for Rafa. I actually thought the first one was the more impressive of the two, simply because he did what he has done so frequently through his career, where it looks like he's playing a different sport than Marcos Giron was. And as physically pressed, you know, because Marcos Giron, I have to say in the second set, left everything on the court in that 6-4 second set and emptied the tank, was trying to take every ball early on the rise, not let that Rafa forehand get above his backhand shoulder. It is worth noting, and I know Hanifman is uniquely suited to do this because like I think many modern players in the men's game are, he's six foot five and he's more than comfortable hitting through that backhand wing. And I just thought from a matchup perspective, that's why when I move forward and my takeaway from this match is the Rafa forehand, I don't want to say it was attackable because he won this match, but it wasn't dynamite. And you look at the guys moving forward, Zverev six foot five, you know, Medvedev six foot five. And I just don't know if his forehand has the sting on it, Amy, that it once did. And I know you've looked at these sorts of things. And I'm, I'm just curious, again, whether it's the eye perspective, the metrics, like it, yes, Rafa's still winning in straight sets. But to your point about the French Open matchup versus this one for Rafa, this one just felt more laborious. Like this one felt more difficult than the last time he played Hanifman. Yeah, and there were more um, points played nine plus in this one, definitely. Um, but um, again, I, I'm hearing that the surface is taking the spin just a little bit more than it has in the past. So that would be benefit Rafa. But look, I mean, he is older. He's not the favorite, Alex. Yeah. I mean, let, let's be honest here. He's He's got a plus, you know, it's it's a tough draw for him. I think he was lucky that Kakanakis went out of the tournament. Um, and now, uh, uh, OK, I thought ahead. Kakanakis, if I could jump in on that development, I thought Kakanakis was playing incredible as well. I put him as a dark horse. But the difference between Kakanakis and and Hoffman is the backhand side. And it's when Rafa goes to that cross-court forehand to the righty backhand, that that pattern that you probably see, quite frankly, more than any other pattern over the course of any Rafa Nadal match is just his cross-court forehand to a right-hander's backhand. That's one area where there's no doubt Hoffman on any day is better than Kakanakis, who's a forehand guy. So I, I'm just saying, I think it might've been a tougher matchup and we're going to get to this, but but... If you look at his draw, Karen Hatchinoff, Aslan Karatsev, Alexander Zverev, all guys in his quarter, backhand guys. So that's the question. I'm also looking at the forehand and is Nadal protecting it or is it getting picked off? Are these right-handers with great two-handers 
stepping in and applying pressure and not only protecting the backhand, but doing damage with their backhand and rushing off the backhand. I really want to get invited back to this show someday, but can we just take a moment to acknowledge you called them backhand guys? That's just a life. Like I'm locking that in. You will see. I, I think we're on the record on Twitter later today. You will see at AL Gruskin, me refer to the backhand guys. I also like drop it. You know, I, again, I don't want to, like you talk about the rigorousness of the Rafa forehand to righties backhand patterns. I don't want to be, you know, burned at the stake by three listeners why I will say I am not drawn to the Rafa Federer match. You know, there's not a gravitational pull to me when they're playing. I could tell you how every single point is going to unfold in that match. And it helps that we've seen it 40 plus times. But like, you know exactly what Rafa is going to do with his forehand into that Federer backhand. You know exactly when he's going to pull the trigger and change direction and go down the line or go inside in. Or you know exactly, oh, I'm going to hit the elevated backhand down the line to your one hand or just a little, you know, relaxed, you know, easy rhythm ball there. It's like, I've seen that. I know what that looks like. And I just to get to the broader point here again with the backhand guys coming up, like, is that going to work against them? Zero's going to tee off on that ball. You know, Hatchinov, I think is moving really well right now. Just going after the forehand. That's a really interesting first test. And I can't believe I forgot about him again. There's potentially three, six foot six behemoths who are all better at hitting the backhand than Hanifman waiting, in, you know, lurking in Rafa's draw. I think that is something fascinating as we look forward at this event for him is just like, how does he have enough sting in his shots? Are this, is this surface too slow or will he be able to power through it? Well, I think, and we've talked about this on this show before, Gil, um, the fact that he has Moya and Moya is a data guy, he'll be able to scout each opponent. And a lot of these guys like Hatchinoff um, and even the guys with, forehands that you think don't go near that guy's forehand it's actually you want to hit to the guy's forehand because he may hit more winners off that wing but he also makes a ton of more errors off that wing so um each individual opponent will be scouted and i can guarantee you Hatchinoff has vulnerability on that forehand so um you know look for it look for it because Rafa had to play Cressy in that final of that 250 a week or two ago, right? And I'm like, okay, here he has to play a serve and volleyer, and it's going to be dip it to his feet every single time. Now, look, he's Nadal. He has the ability to do this, but he's been sick, and I want to see him execute this. Well, he sure did. I mean, nothing stopped him. He was able to dip that ball with such discipline over and over and over until he got what he wanted. The guy has all the shots. Yeah, he, he certainly does. Um, it'll be interesting in the Hatchinov matchup. They, they did play a good four-setter at the U.S. Open a couple of years back, which was incredibly competitive. And I, you know, it's, it's certainly a matchup that is similar to Hoffman, Alex. Well, this is a fascinating matchup to me. And just for the record, because I don't want to let it slide, so Hatchinov's a backhand guy. Moya's a data guy. What does that make Gil and I? Like, are we are we are we eyebrow guys? Like, is that is that what our thing is? We're the eyebrow guys. I'll take that. Um, no, it. You know, I would point to even a match more recent. I think it might have been the same year as that U.S. Open match you're referring to, 2019 Indian Wells, and 
I will admit I'm a nerd for remembering this match. I apologize to all of you, but it was quarterfinals, I believe, of that 2019 Indian Wells. Hatchinoff is up a set and a break, and Rafa starts grabbing his knee, and it looks like he's injured, and he's sort of cramping, and he's not really moving, and Hatchinoff just folded. And just there, Hatchinov, you know, he was like, do I just start making balls? Should I be a bit more aggressive? What do I do here? He had no idea how to approach the situation. Rafa ends up coming back and winning the match in three sets. And I'm not saying it's a direct correlation, but you can draw a through line from Hatchinov's struggles since that match to now. I like I, I legitimately think that broke his confidence a bit because he had Rafa down and out. And I do think, again, backhand guy it's a good matchup like the ball is in his strike zone and just you you can't fake being six foot six that's why when we look at these third round matches a lot of love's going to go to Alcaraz Berrettini yeah I think I know what that one's going to look like I have no idea what this hatching of Nadal match is going to look like and I'm really interested to find out good matchup and I agree with you for Hatchinov, but he's 0-7 Nadal's gotten him <laughs> every single time and if, if anyone's up in arms, how could you call it a good matchup? Nadal's a better player, right? <laughs> there could be a good matchup and, and you can be 0-7. You know, sometimes the better player is able to overcome even, uh, even when the weaknesses and the strengths line up in a way that is favorable to the lesser, you know, to, to the lesser player. We will uh, put that conversation on the side burner and, and move on to Novak Djokovic because, uh, it is, uh, it is our first show since the final decision was cast down that, that Novak was uh, not going to be able to play the Australian Open, that his visa re-cancellation was indeed upheld by the courts. Amy, uh, is there anything you just want to say on that front to kind of put a bow on the entire ordeal? And oh, how I mean, do you put a bow look, on that's it? That's hard. <laughs> exactly. Don't, don't make it bow. look pretty. It's too much. No. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't put a bow. How about this? Why don't, why don't you try to uh, put a bow on just Sunday forward? Because way too much has happened in the last two weeks yeah. to possibly put a bow on. I was trying to tell this story on Twitter. I'll just tell you guys a quick story. A, a couple of days ago, after Novak was deported, I went to play tennis with a, a friend. And we started talking about the Djokovic thing. And she said, well, he got the medical exemption. And I was like, yeah, in the beginning, he got the medical exemption. And then, you know, once he was deported and she goes, deported, what are you talking about? She stopped paying attention after the Instagram post. <laughs> she just checked out. And there's a lot of people, super casual fans that were not following this the same way that we were, um, like all the ins and outs and twists and turns. So I, I think it's it's important to realize that we're super, super close to this, but the world at large and the more casual fan maybe just sort of knows the basics. So there's that. Secondly, um, I don't want us in the tennis world to hand ring so much about uh, particularly Roland Garros because I think that we're going to possibly be living in a much different world two, three months from now. And maybe vaccine status is not going to be so front and center. I mean, maybe the way that the Omicron wave is tracking um, maybe we're coming out of it. So I don't, I guess my point is, I don't want to sure. waste too much time worrying about what's going to happen to Novak. Love that. Love that. I, I, I kind of agree. It's like the French, 
the French government says something now and it's and it's a news story. Why can we worry about this in two months? Yeah. Like the way this situation is it now in general, again, like, is there going to pos perhaps be a situation where Djokovic's 2022 is completely hijacked by vaccine mandates? And, you know, does the decision get harder and harder for him to to take the shot or, or to not if that becomes the case? Yeah. But but I completely I completely share the desire to not worry about that right now. Yeah, I think that's a fair sentiment from both of you. I would agree with that. And by the way, it's just an excuse for all of us to once again tweet out, can't we just focus on the tennis? Like, because we haven't had that wave happen recently. But, you know, I, I know it's not a joking matter. The amount, to your first point, Amy, the amount of people in my life, and I do think it's over <laughs> 50, who have texted me and, you know, said, hey man, Novak's Djokovic. And it's like, to all of them, I say, oh man, you're the first who's ever thought of that. Like, that's genius. And you're just like, that is where people are checking in on yes. this story. And yeah. I, to your point, I mean, it is significant. Like the fact that the French government are trying to make, and I, and again, this tie, it, it's Novak Djokovic, like it or not, has become a symbol for, you know, a political martyr for those who think, you know, governments are being too restrictive when it comes to COVID. And as such, you know, when the government discusses in France, we shouldn't allow unvaccinated people to enter the country for sport. It's implicitly a reference to Novak Djokovic because he has become the symbol of those sorts of political decisions. And obviously for Novak Djokovic, that's just tremendously unfortunate and such a shame. And I think unfortunately a byproduct of some of the decisions that he's made. That said, for us tennis fans and us following the action, you guys have nailed it. Like not much I can add other than to say, all right, remember when we had this lockdown or this restriction in place six months ago and we no longer do, or remember when we thought we were going to do this, but instead we ended up doing this as we've learned throughout the pandemic, fluidity is key. And that sucks for planning and that sucks for coordination. And I continue to think the most direct and simple way to remove any gray area is to institute a vaccine mandate. Just say, hey, you're vaxxed, you play, you aren't, you don't. And that's the simplest solution because no gray area there. That said, short of the tours doing that, I think these sto stories keep emerging, right? Like how else do you combat them? Gil, the one thing that, and you guys pay a lot more attention to rankings points than I do. I got enough numbers in my head. <laughs> um, the, the one thing that I'm not sure about is, let's say Medvedev wins the tournament, wins the Australian Open. Is Novak's number one ranking safe or not? Do we know that? No, it's gone. If, if Zverev or Medvedev gone. wins the tournament, they become world number one. Okay. I mean, I just, um, you know, then we'll have Indian Wells and the, the rankings and stuff are all still kind of wonky because Indian Wells was in October. But, um, you know, Djokovic has a home in Miami. So he'll, he'll at the very least probably want to play Miami. And... Um, first order of business would be getting into the United States. And I know that on Eurosport, Barbara Shett, who's a uh, commentator, former player, commentator now, I think for Eurosport, said that Djokovic has been banned by the Australian government, therefore he's going to be flagged coming into the U.S. Mm -hmm. and said that he would have a visa problem there. Well, I looked into that. I, I talked with our, our friendly uh, 
immigration attorney who's a viewer of our show. Hi, you know who you are. Um, he said, actually, that's not a problem, but so many of these decisions are made by the immigration officer in the moment. So if there's something about your visa that raises a flag, that officer has a lot of power to say, I'm not letting you in. So I think he's going to need some diplomatic help. Um, he might want to contact the Serbian embassy in Washington, D.C., and his first order of business, I think, so that he can protect his ranking points and, and do all that is figure out how to get into the U.S. I love this. There are backhand guys, eyebrow guys, data guys. Now we have immigration guys on this show. We go deep. <laughs> it's a deep roster here. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we've already murdered a co-host. Like this is <laughs> <laughs> lots of action. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, also put that aside and there will be again i don't think that story is going away but i think everyone would be happy if it went away for just these two weeks yeah. i do however want to address rafa nadal's comments and and he's the only person who has been in the spotlight as far as the big three are concerned answering uh, roger federer doesn't need to do press conferences right now because he's not playing matches <laughs> lucky so, for luck him lucky him <laughs> Rafa Nadal has had to give his opinions on this whole Novak Djokovic saga. And they have been, I think neutral would be a fair characterization of them. However, if you are a, a staunch supporter of, of Novak Djokovic in certain ways, neutral can be interpreted as anti because you are not in support. And, and I thought, you know, Daniil Medvedev, same thing, his comments, very neutral, very down the middle, but where's the support, some may ask. And I do feel like the, the fan rift, the fan tribalism, which let's be honest, has been part of this big three era, a big part of it that's been very obvious and, and ever present. That is in a, a place right now where I feel like the, the temperature is pretty hot right now between Nadal and and Djokovic and if not the people then just the fandoms and a lot of that has to do with with Nadal's comments which is basically like I feel sorry for the situation but you could have been vaccinated and that's kind of the stance um and you know the decision has consequences and that's basically to paraphrase where he's been do you think it's fair any kind of like do you think it's fair that Nadal has taken criticism for for the comments Alex I think the people who are criticizing him should be taken less seriously. Like, absolutely. I think that's a nuanced take. What do you want Rafa to start weighing in on health policy moving forward? Like that's, that's the alternative solution. You're saying, actually, you know, if you've got contracted COVID in the past six months, your antibody count, like, first mm -hmm. of all, shout out to him because it would sound brilliant coming out in his accent. I just, I think that like, again, I, I think there are people to indict. It's the lack of leadership from the tours. I talk about the lack of a vaccine mandate that creates gray area. Just simply put, there's a lot of gray area. Craig Tiley, I'm sure has been, I know he's been discussed on this show in the past. He's been discussed everywhere. The players all love Tennis Australia. It's clear the accommodations are exceptional. They've done a lot for promoting various causes at the Australian Open. And, and you know, they've got seven minute extended highlights for pretty much every match on their YouTube channel. That's the gold standard. Every slam has to do that moving forward. Mm -hmm. That said, the lack of leadership from all of these various entities 
undeniably led us to where we're at today. And so I think any sort of measured response is thrown out the window because people are looking for blame. Who can I blame for the situation that you're in? And, you know, I was joking about this with you all beforehand. You bring anything up about vaccines in your mentions as it pertains to tennis, you're going to get the people who accuse you of being a shill of the pharmaceutical companies. You're going to get the people who accuse you of being a globalist, to which I say, you don't have to use coded terms. I'm Jewish. You can just say it. Like, you don't have to call me a globalist. Um, but like, it's all of these different things where it, it's, it's, of course, a polarizing topic that tennis has been drawn into. Anyone who's, who's criticizing Rafa did not listen to the nuance of his comments, which is to say Djokovic made a decision, decisions have consequences. Like, that's a second grade teacher. That's not a critical, that's like, that's what you learn as a human. Decisions have consequences. So, yes, I would say it's absurd. I know that was a bit there. Curious what you guys think. Sure. Okay. I agree with you 100%. I, I think Rafa handled it really well. Um, I, I like to say that I call it like I see it and um, all he did was answer questions that he was asked in a pretty succinct and fairly neutral way. Um, still following, you know, what he believes is the science and, and is the right thing to do, which is get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. um, I said earlier on an earlier podcast that I would like to see the Djokovic followers be less polarized in terms of the politics and see more nuance and and say you know what our guy messed up in a couple of situations and all this um including uh being around people after he tested positive without a mask and distancing so you know just like you would your own child you call them out and you say uh you did a bad thing but i still love you I'd like to see more of that and less of the political lineup behind. And now it's it's like the right is with Djokovic and the left is with everybody else. And that doesn't really jibe with who Novak is because Novak is really into um, climate change and, and environmental issues and things like that. And that's politically not a right issue. That's not a tennis sangren John Isner issue, you know, so it doesn't fit. So I'd like to see less polarization and more calm nuance. Yeah. I guess my, uh, I'm on your side with defending Nadal or defending any player in this case. There, the expectation that the professional pros here uh the professional players were going to be any different from the fans in the sense that they were going to unite on this issue and all see it the same way was never a realistic expectation i don't under i never understood that and i know that there have been comments from the serbian players that have been that have been kind of amplified in support of novak djokovic but also in some cases understanding that not everyone in the locker room is there and that's just how it is these are just these are just people and you're not going to get everyone agreeing on this so it's time to just accept that there is not going to be a unified defend novak djokovic in press conferences and as a you know in terms of taking public stances and then by the way for anyone who did the naomi osaka and was like is my opinion really going to help anything or no comment i so get that and i think that's totally fine 
again, human beings, just put yourself in their shoes. When they weigh in on a controversial topic, what do they get out of it? Nothing. What's the downside? Their mentions get blown up. They get fans, their own fans that want to support them, perhaps disappointed, perhaps happy, but you know, you, you polarize people. If you don't have any interest in that, okay, I get it. Like, do you think it's fun to have these people have Instagram and Twitter on their phone? They see these articles that are written off of their quotes about a controversial topic. Do you think that's pleasant? Like, do you think they want that? No, like they're human beings. So if they want to say no comment, I get it. Now, if you feel strongly about something and you you have a personal stake in it that that you want to insert yourself uh, and and have a message that you want to get across, respect. Respect that way also. So can I push back a bit on that? Sure. I think there's a fine line. I think the way you are presenting it, where if a player says respectfully, I don't feel educated enough in the topic to discuss it, I would appreciate if we could move on because I don't feel I have any value added to this conversation. If a player came to the microphone and uttered those words, standing up, in the press room. I mean, you know, Rothenberg goes shirtless and I can say that because he's my friend and just everyone would start waving the towels. And like, that would be a nuance that quite frankly will never happen. I think it can, there's a fine line between that and being disrespectful to where players say, I'm not answering that question. I don't want to answer that question. I'm not answering that one. Are you kidding? I don't like the framing well, of that question. No one's been disrespectful, right? Well, Sometimes they're, sometimes they're disrespectful on Twitter after the fact. Yeah, I just think the sass related to that is unnecessary. Now, I agree. Like, nuance dies, particularly once it's aggregated and put out onto a Twitter article. And I, to your point, like, I could understand a player being like, I don't really want to dive into that. I, again, respectfully decline to answer this question. I think sometimes, though, hey, you know, I, sorry, Riley Opelka, whom I like personally, and I would say this too as well. Like the idea of, oh, I would say what I want to say, but I don't want to get canceled. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. And so if you have, again, I always say, I don't care what your opinion is. Stand by the confidence of your convictions. If you have the confidence in your convictions, we can vehemently disagree. But at least there's a man with the confidence of his convictions. Okay. Or, like that to me is where the difference is. Sure. Can I make one more distinction? Please. If it doesn't have to do with you. Because if, if, if you're in the mix, like if Craig Tiley said no comment, completely different. Naomi Osaka has nothing to do with this. This is not her problem. So if she wants to say no comment, because people want to use her name and, and get her opinion, you know, microphone her opinion or megaphone her opinion out to the world. And, and she doesn't have any interest in that. I get that. I also don't blame the journalist who asks. Naomi Osaka okay, is, a figure, is, a, is a, a figure in this sport who is extremely important, as is Rafael Nadal. And if I'm in the press room, I'm also asking. But if they don't want to answer, this has nothing to do with them, and it does not help them at all to answer. So, so I think, I'm though, cool. fundamentally, though, that's the key thing, is they have to respect the press person for asking the question. Because if you have the platform and, you know, there's a Messiah complex to Novak Djokovic we can tackle if I ever get the call back back. And I feel like right now, B plus, A minus in terms <laughs> of this performance. Um, but, you know, I if you are going to take on that persona and you are going to have the adulation and rewards that come with it. You are, you are, you have the platform to where people are following your lead. You are going to be asked. It's the responsibility of journalists to ask these questions. And I think fundamentally to criticize the journalist, which often happens in this case is just 
incorrect. Like it is a fair question to ask. I would ask it. I think all three of us here would ask it. And again, respectfully, I'm going to decline to answer because I don't feel educated enough to share my opinion. Bravo. Fair. Okay. I want to end this, this episode um, on a, on a more tennis, like upbeat note. I don't know how upbeat this is. What do we make of just Nadal's section? I think some of the top seeds looking a little bit more vulnerable than we thought outside of Zverev. It's tough. I mean, again, you look at this quarter of the draw. I mean, certainly Zverev stands out as the threat looming above all else, but Hercot's getting a little, I would argue the Hubi oh, loss and is- that's, that's what I was forgetting. Hercot's yeah. out. I would argue that loss is maybe the only upset we've actually seen this tournament. Coco Goff getting upset. That one felt a little funky, but like, Cordonori, not that weird. Cressy Isner, not that weird. Keys over Kennan, not that weird. Kvitova hasn't been playing that great. Like the Hercots one was the first one I look at and go, whoa, where did that one come from? I mean, look, in principle, Karatsev should have some time to hopefully find his footing again. And like Karatsev was a semifinalist here last year. He has proven on this surface, these conditions, three out of five, it can bring out his best tennis. I... I don't think that would be, you know, again, I think it is still a gauntlet for Rafa if things hold seed the rest of the way, because to go Hachinov, sure. the shot making of Karatsev, then the physicality likely of Azvirov, or even an Opelka who's serving lights out right now, you know, I don't put Sha- Shapo has just not played well enough to be included in this conversation. Yep. I still think it's pretty tough. Like, I think he, I mean, he'll have time to work himself into shape, but like now's the time. It's, it's time to start rolling. Gil, the one thing that I would watch is, in the next match or two, assuming that Rafa can get through, how many sets is he playing? How many points is he playing? What kind of effort is he expending? And, you know, look at his feet. Look at look at um, how he carries himself on the court. And do you discern any little problem that he might be having? And um, I think his goal is not only to get through, but get through efficiently. I agree. So the path to efficient progress and the hopes of Rafael Nadal begins against uh, Karen Hatchinoff or first doesn't begin, but the next stop is Karen Hatchinoff in the third round. We will continue to, to monitor Rafa's section. You also have uh, again, the winner of Manorino and um, Karatsev Manorino is the man who beat her shout out to him because I don't think his name got the got in there and and he deserves the glory and uh that's what's in the uh that's what's ahead for Nadal I think that we wrapped up the Djokovic coverage for the Australian Open here so it'll be uh it'll be the Nadal show from now on which is by the way the first time that Rafa is in a major without Federer or Djokovic so how about that That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. Greatly appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, like the video, comment, and subscribe after this last Gruskin comment. Well, just one, if I'm going to add anything to the three (laughs) dynamic, because I was sleeping on this the whole time. And you're right, it's the one Rafa slam, right? I'm glad you mentioned that. But my theory, he's going to win one more. Here's how he does it. Jordan did this. You know, uh, other great athletes have all done this. Shave the head, Rafa. Like, it's just time to oh, let yeah. the bad boy go. And shaved uh, head, Rafa, is a different beast. So that would be my final. Like, if I could offer anything to the big three dialect, 
shaved head Rafa is the missing component to this story. Do you guys know and... what this? Do you know what topics is? Oh yeah. <laughs> we should do one on that. Just to get him through the tournament. Just yeah. a little topics. <laughs> and we will see you next time.